0: So you're almost through. (laughs) You're almost through the second day. (laughs) Congratulations. Hopefully uh, the first noble truth has been uh, showing itself to you. This noble truth of suffering (laughs) that Mary Grace so eloquently uh, spoke of last night. And I'm, uh, I'm charged with the uh, assignment of bringing uh, the the second noble truth to you. Um, this being the cause. So I'll see what I can do. I know a little bit about the cause of suffering. <laughs> So this second noble truth, you know, craving is what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Self-centered craving. Mm-hmm. I want to just kind of back up a little bit. So, you know, the Buddha was often described as a doctor uh, in the commentaries and in some of the more recent uh, books. Actually, even far back, thousands of years, was described as a, uh, a doctor, And his treatment was to remove the splinter of suffering from the minds of humans. Our splinter of suffering. And the four noble truths, as Mary Grace mentioned last night, are often described as the course of treatment. So we're well on our way. The ailment, suffering, there is suffering in this world. This is also defined as stress or anguish, dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction with the way things are, as Mary Grace pointed out last night. So I consider that the ailment, the diagnosis, the cause of suffering is craving. And Ajahn Amaro describes uh, the Buddha's words, or has translated the the Buddha's words of uh, the second noble truth like this. This bhikkhus, bhikkhus means monks, but you know, meditators. This bhikkhus is the noble truth of the cause of suffering. It is the craving, compelling, intoxicating, which causes us to be born into things again and again, ever seeking fresh delight, now, here, now there. It is namely the craving for sensual delight, the craving to be something, and the craving to feel nothing. And that last line really stuck with me when Bob shared this with me the other day. The craving to be something and the craving to feel nothing. Because man, I can really relate to that in my own life. Growing up, wanting to be something other than what I was. And wanting to feel nothing, definitely not what I was feeling. So I understand a little about this cause of suffering. So we are often trying to hold on to, push away, or numb out of our experiences. And this is the craving to have things be other than they are. This is the cause that the Buddha talked about. So I'll get more into that. I'm going to finish the, the, the description of the medical model of the Buddhist teaching. So we have the ailment and the diagnosis. Then we have the prognosis. An end of suffering is possible. This is good news. Right? But this is a good prognosis. The end of suffering is possible. And Richard's going to help us understand that a little bit more tomorrow. So then the treatment. The medication, if you will, or meditation. This eightfold path that actually Bob's going to let us know a little bit about. The steps. A lot of which we're actually doing right now. <coughs> so over the past few days, you know, hopefully you've seen this ailment. If you have, this is a good thing. Because until we can really see our suffering, we can't do anything about it. If we're ignorant, as the Buddha would say. Or delusional. Just just going on and on. Constantly grasping. Craving. To have things be other than they are. Not actually ever seeing that it's causing suffering. We're just continually reacting. And Mary Grace talked quite a bit about the suffering of suffering, dukkha dukkha. right? Where we have some form of suffering and then our reaction to it is to actually cause more suffering as we continue to grasp or push or numb. So we use this retreat as a tool, the form of this retreat. We use as a tool to both reveal our habits of mind. And to help us see craving to uh, have things be other than they are. So to help us see craving or the wanting to have things be other than they are. And our habits of mind around that craving. Whether it's cold or warm or the food is good or not so good. Or we like our roommates, or we don't like our roommates, or we don't want to walk, or it's raining, whatever. That this, uh, this form, and this retreat, and just really our lives in general, this practice, helps us bump up against our preferences. Our preferences of our likes, our dislikes, our wants, desires, aversions. This is really what we're talking about. And I I actually really feel today, specifically, this is what's uh, been happening in some of my my own meditation practices. More is always revealed. I've been at this a while, but I don't got it figured out yet. So I call this a laboratory because we're in a controlled environment to some degree. To some degree, it's controlled. All of our basic needs are met, yet we still want. Don't we? Yeah. And this is, this is you know, what I'm talking about when I'm talking about preferences. You know, this quality of craving, wanting things to be other than they are. My bed was a little softer or a little harder. You know. The food was a little spicier. Actually, tonight's pudding was a good reminder for me of wanting,
1: <laughs>
0: craving. I had two. <laughs> but I was fully aware. <laughs> I even debated it a bit. So in our lives, you know, we're often unconscious in our lives outside of here. We're often unconscious uh, in and we're making these decisions to avoid suffering. And we've we've done a really good job of creating a life where we can do that pretty uh, unconsciously. T
1: right?
0: V or the cell phone or are reading our favorite book, and so when we come into this retreat environment, or you know our friends, or just the the so many, I'm sure you could think of all the things you're missing right now. Those are the things. So we, we get kind of instinctual around avoiding suffering, and so we don't even really see the craving because we're just feeding it. So when we come into this kind of environment, it's like a laboratory or an incubator. You know, we're turning up the heat a little bit. So here, you know, I like to say that we're rebelling against our tendencies. We're rebelling against that kind of instinctual drive for pleasure. This is a good thing because it's what's revealing uh, the cause of our suffering. This meditation is a fierce practice in the way that it reveals the stark reality of our everyday mind. We are constantly murmuring, muttering, scheming, wondering to ourselves under our breath or in our own minds, trying to comfort ourselves. Our internal life is constantly preoccupied with the voices of, I like this, I don't like that, she hurt me, how can I get that, more of this, on and on. This is that instinctual, you know, unconscious, sometimes it's even subtly conscious, right? The preferences. But I really like this. It's really good for me. This is all an attempt to find pleasure and comfort. Not that pleasure and comfort are bad. Not even that desire is bad. It's the craving, the wanting, the never getting enough. But that's really what we're talking about here as the cause of our suffering. And it's not even that suffering is bad. It's actually just the way it is. And our relationship to it is really what matters. That's what the Buddha's pointing to. I think suffering gets a bit of a bad rap. Because if it wasn't for suffering, none of you would be here. Me neither. If I wasn't hurting to such a degree that I would go so low as to attempt meditation. (laughs) You know? I I stole that from Noah Levine. (laughs) <laughs> we have a very similar past. <clears throat> that our internal life is constantly preoccupied with these voices. Right? We're attempting to find pleasure and possibly avoid discomfort or avoid unpleasant thoughts and feelings. That we're kind of geared that way. Really since, you know, I mean, if you believe in evolution, right? Since we began to evolve into the higher life form that we are now. If you're buying that. In, in what's called the old brain or the reptilian brain, we have this, this desire for pleasure, for comfort. And this uh, aversion to discomfort or things that might kill us. It's very old. And the Buddha saw this without any kind of, you know, scientific devices or brain scans. Pretty remarkable, actually. That only now, you know, thousands of years later, uh, science is catching up and doing a good job of it, actually. So this vipassana insight meditation takes the untrained everyday mind as a natural starting point. We come in here with all of our stuff, all of our patterns and habits and likes and dislikes. And we say, okay, don't talk or look at each other and sit and walk and sit and walk and get to eat a little bit. And We'll check in with you to make sure you're not going crazy every couple days. (laughs) So... This gives us a clear and systematic way of developing awareness of this process, this moment-to-moment awareness. When we begin to give attention to the moment as it arises, we see the movement of our minds as we try to keep our attention on one thing, like the breath or walking. We try to keep our attention on just one thing. When we start to see we often discover how completely out of control our minds really are and how much craving and pleasure is really running the show and that's really what what this second noble truth to me is about it's about seeing oh the cause is not the suffering the cause is the craving the cause is not the desire it's the grasping the attachment it's not even. It's not the pleasure. It's the want. It's the wanting it to never stop. Right? Addiction. It's often called. Right? The word craving means tanha, uh, which also in in Pali, which is you know this language that's thousands of years old from the time of the Buddha. And I I like the Pali language because I really like. Some of the descriptions, they, they're, they're not, they don't do so well in English. Even like dukkha, last night Mary Grace was talking about. So the word tanha means craving, it also means thirst. Like a thirst that can never be quenched, no matter how much we drink. But that's uh, one of the ways of looking at what, what uh, the Buddha is pointing to. But also um, craving the, the tanha can also be like uh, like fire burning. It's burning. Actually, there's lots of teachings where the Buddha's talking about uh, that it's burning. Our 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 sense from our sense contact, it's all burning. I'll get into sense contact in a minute. So we realize that our mind has a mind of its own, right? It's flighty, goes where it wishes. Words of the Buddha. That we identify with our preferences as me and mine. This is mine. I'm like this. And this is ultimately the problem that we're craving as uh, Ajahnar Amaro said back here somewhere. Mm-hmm. craving for sensual delight craving to be something and to feel nothing so in meditation we're beginning to see how the mind rebels against our own wishes to be happy and content don't we all want to be happy and content why isn't it that easy? If we want it and we can control our minds, shouldn't we just be able to do that? It's a little harder than that, right? It seems like it's harder. I've tried. I get moments. You know, moments. Glimpses. Days, even sometimes, on retreat, long retreats. So we, yeah, we want to be happy and content with the way things are. Whatever it is, right? Sitting, walking, eating, taking a shower, whatever. Can we just be happy and content with that? It would be nice. That's our goal. We can begin to see this craving at its very base level. right? And in the suttas or the teachings... Uh, This is described as Vedana. And Vedana in Pali uh, means to feel or to know. So to feel or to know, Vedana. We we often call it feeling tone. So feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Mary Grace talked about it this morning. Skillfully enough to not give it away too much. (laughs) And I'm only going to allude to it today because tomorrow morning it's going to be actually tomorrow's whole day of practice focus. But this Vedana, this feeling tone, this is the subtle but key driving force of craving and aversion. Uh, It's a big and it's a big deal in understanding suffering. This is the quality of knowing every sense experience as it arises to know or to feel in each moment. Each experience can be known as pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. And neither kind of gets tricky. We all kind of know pleasant, unpleasant, right? And neither I actually look to as boredom. It's what... when. When there's nothing to attach to or to push away, then there's this kind of sense of boredom, or like, what's next? And and you know the the interesting thing is uh, in a lot of the Buddhist teachings, getting comfortable with boredom is is really the key. Like if you. What is it that there's that saying? I don't even know who said it. But if you can't be bored, you can't be Buddhist. I actually think it was Stephen Levine. (laughs) that said, if you can't be bored, you can't be Buddhist. So this quality of knowing every sense experience. At the moment of sense contact, there is a feeling tone which informs our perception. And, and the perception of that experience is uh, a lot based on whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. By sense contact, I mean eyes, ears, nose, touch, taste, and mind. And the way in which each of those organs or each of those sense doors has contact with an experience. <coughs> so we smell something. It's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. We taste something. It's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. A thought arises either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. This is what I mean. And to the degree in which we grasp or avoid or push away, it's to the degree in which we suffer. So we'll focus on this more in tomorrow's instructions, this aspect of feeling tone. So how else can we work with this cause of suffering? As we make an effort to head down this path of liberation. We have these obstacles that get in our way. The comforting thing is that we all know about these obstacles. We've all experienced them. They hinder our efforts to make meditation. Uh, they hinder our, our, our efforts to meditation. They make they can make meditation or our experience difficult or challenging. Unsatisfactory. Honestly, how many people thought about leaving since you've been here? Honestly, come on. A couple of them. Yeah. The veterans have already—they've already been on this ride. They know.
1: <laughs>
0: so luckily, we know what these are, right? So many of, us, many of us have been doing battle with these obstacles in our minds, uh, in our minds, our whole lives. But more importantly, the last two days, right? So we call these the hindrances. It's a classical teaching. Hinder what gets in the way, hinders our uh, enlightenment, our meditation practice. And what I want to say before I get into the hindrances, and you know, it'll be obvious how these are aspects of craving. But is that. You know, I I found out recently that the Buddha, up until the moment of his enlightenment, dealt with these hindrances. So, a long time of serious meditation practice and yogic practice, still afflicted by the hindrances, still an obstacle. So, really, part of the enlightenment process was uh, kind of overcoming. Or seeing clearly, it would be another way to look at it. These hindrances. As craving, as a cause of suffering. Also as impermanent. So what are these, cra- what, what are these uh, uh, hindrances? So wanting or craving, which we've talked quite a bit about. Aversion, anger, ill will. Sleepiness, drowsiness. Dullness of mind, often called sloth and torpor. (laughs) Restlessness, agitation, and finally doubt uh, and disbelief. So how might we uh, use these experiences or how might we come up with these experiences in our practice? I have a few examples of how you may have experienced them thus far. Might fit, might not, but you'll be able to recognize it. Wanting, craving, right? Uh, craving clouds our view of of the present, right? We start thinking of all the things we missed, all the things that we're missing from home, that you know we don't uh, that we don't have, right? Wanting or craving things to be different than they are if only I had then this, would, this experience would be just what I wanted right if only I had that great book or if my partner was here whatever one more bowl of pudding
1: <laughs>
0: then I'd be happy So the next is aversion, anger. Sometimes we get heated up or taken over by our emotions, thoughts, memories, lost in a story. Or we're just feeling resistance. I don't want to try anything new or different. My example of this is kale. (laughs) I don't like kale. aversion but you know what I tried it. it's not bad but I had a serious aversion to it for years it had lots of representations but you know not so bad working with the aversion sleepiness drowsiness right we all know what this feels like maybe some of you are feeling it right now It can be like trying to walk through mud, right? This feeling of sluggishness, a slowing in the mind. Walking meditation, standing up meditation, opening your eyes during meditation—all can be helpful. And know that you know. Also, know that as uh, retreats progress, uh, sometimes sluggishness uh, moves away as we settle in. There's this rousing factor, right? myria, effort, energy, which can come. But the opposite of drowsiness or sleepiness is agitation. <coughs> we have to be careful. Agitation, the opposite of sleepiness. We get stirred up, right? The mind is bouncing around. It's often called monkey mind, like the way a monkey... I don't know if you've ever been to Asia, but I've, I've, I've been bitten by three monkeys, actually. <laughs> and monkeys they'll perch and then jump from one branch to another branch to another branch. Take time to rest for a moment and then they're off again. Just like the way our mind can be when we're restless. And so it's important to pay attention to this. Agitation. Sometimes we we have a lot of energy that makes us restless. We think there's so many other things I can be doing right now besides sitting here. You know, this may have happened for you in the last two days. You know. Sometimes it's even so much as like, wow, maybe I'll just go for a nice hike. <coughs> now, not that going on a hike is a bad thing, but if it's, if it's uh, a way of uh, kind of honoring the restlessness, sometimes that could be okay. But if it's a, you know, if it's pushing away from what the experience is like, so agitation. This is really common. Right? Sleepiness is very common. Agitation is very common on the other side. I've actually been on meditation retreats where I've, you know, I sat a two-month retreat last year, and I was um, so. Uh, restless and agitated, I was doing push-ups in my in my room. Right? Because I was just trying to get some energy out. I had so much energy I didn't know what to do with. My mind was not settled anymore. It had go went from settled to agitated. And then got a little bit of energy out and continued my practice. And then it settled again. It was great to watch it. So the next aspect uh, and the the last of these five hindrances is doubt or disbelief so doubt and disbelief why the hell did I come on this retreat <laughs> right i can't do this meditation's not for me this is some of the some of the words of doubt disbelief or belief or the disbelief that uh that this the meditation stuff can be helpful. It's kind of like contempt prior to investigation. Because mm-hmm. once you practice, you begin to see the benefits pretty quickly, I think. I mean, it was for me. I got hooked kind of early. I was 16 when I first meditated, and I was like, wow. This stuff's all right. I didn't do it for like five years after, but I was... I had a <laughs> But I had a positive first experience. <laughs> so at, at any time, this is something I got from, uh, from Bob last, last year. At any time, uh, we, we might be struck by one of these hindrances. But we have to also be careful of the MHA, the multiple hindrance attack. Because sometimes, sometimes we're not just going to get one. Right? It's not just... Doubt. It's doubt and agitation. (laughs) So we have to be careful. So, the Buddha's words on uh, this second noble truth. Craving inevitably leads to more dukkha. Period. Craving inevitably leads to more suffering. And he further said, If this sticky, uncouth craving overcomes you in the world, your sorrows grow like wild grass after rain. If in the world, when you overcome this uncouth craving, hard to escape, sorrows roll off you like water beads off a lotus. Kind of poetic. (laughs) Abandoning craving." Opens up the possibility for awakening. Again, we're getting to the good news. So before we can abandon anything, we have to see it clearly. So part of this practice, part of this whole week, is about seeing clearly the arising of craving in our moment-to-moment experience. And when we can, and again, being easy on ourselves, But when we can, then we can begin to incline our mind towards observing and not reacting. His Holiness the Dalai Lama talked of the root cause of suffering being ignorance and grasping. Clinging to things that change. According to His Holiness uh, the Buddha, and the Buddha's teachings, the root cause of suffering can be eliminated by awareness of the mental states as they arise. So pointing back to this uh, Vedana, this feeling tone. So as there's sense contact, there's feeling tone. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. If we can be in that, in that level of awareness, which can be quite difficult... But we'll practice it. I think you're ready. And then, if we can be in that in that space and be, have awareness of the feeling tones, then we can actually be aware of uh, the craving or the aversion as it arises. Or the neutrality of it. And this is key. This is key to our liberation. if we can habituate our minds towards non-grasping, in essence, transforming our minds and habits or preferences, as I'm calling it tonight, we will gain knowledge and come out of ignorance as well as decrease suffering. So, um, His Holiness also talked about, you know, if positive mental states arise in the mind, negative mental states can't arise. So what that means is if we're bringing our attention to what's arising and we're not grasping or pushing away or trying to numb out from our experience, but just seeing what's arising, we actually can incline our minds towards more freedom by grasping less. If we focus on uh, selflessness in action and meditation and develop mindful awareness of the way things are, we will suffer less. (coughs) To develop mindfulness and concentration is the way out of this conditioned suffering. So I don't have much more to say today. Just that, you know, Richard said this morning, um, as Richard said this morning, about relaxing, And allowing. That I actually learned a phrase that, the three instructions that I I just love so much. Relax, observe, and allow. From moment to moment, if we can relax into each new breath, observe what's arising, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and allow whatever's arising to stay for its time and pass away as all things do. Without the rope burn that we get <laughs> from grasping. Or the, the pain of pushing constantly. The effort it takes to continue to push experiences out. This is in essence what the, that neutrality feeling is like. I was kind of blown away when I first learned that I was the cause of my own suffering. I was like, what? (laughs) There's so many things that have been causing me suffering. Is was my idea at the time. But I was kind of blown away. No, no. The Buddha was really clear. It's our craving, our craving, that causes the suffering. And our attachment having things be other than they are so we this is where we have free will we have the choice in each moment so thank you for your time your presence your practice and let's just sit for a few moments Just be comfortable. Not too comfortable, but comfortable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.